the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Brittany Griner released in exchange for the Merchant of Death. It's bittersweet not to have Paul Whelan coming home as well. Republicans introduce a comprehensive border plan. They're coming over here from over 100 countries across the globe, and he continues to invite them. The Federal Trade Commission is suing Microsoft over the Activision Blizzard merger. It does seem like that's about trying to force more legislative change. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Friday, December 9th. I'm Mike Scott. Today's Daybreak Insider Podcast is sponsored by Epic TV. Epic TV is a censorship-free video platform with original news programs like Crossroads, The Larry Elder Show, Facts Matter, American thought leaders, and documentaries investigating critical issues that are not covered anywhere else. If you're looking for an unbiased, truthful, and resilient news source, check out Epic TV today. And they are offering a special Just for Daybreak Insider podcast listeners. Just sign up and start watching. No credit card required. No strings attached. If you decide to subscribe within 14 days, it's just $1 for two months. So go to watchepic.com slash daybreak and subscribe. That's watchepoch.com slash daybreak. Brittany Griner, the WNBA player, was released from a Russian prison on drug charges on Thursday. It was a prisoner swap for an international arms dealer named Victor Boot. She had been detained in Russia back in February when airport officials found two vaping cartridges in her luggage with traces of cannabis oil. She was convicted in August and sentenced to nine years in prison. The deal was part of a prisoner swap for Russian arms dealer Victor Boot, who was 11 years into a 25-year sentence. President Biden says that he spoke to Griner on the phone in the Oval Office, where he was joined by Griner's partner, Sherelle. Sherelle, speaking with reporters, says that she's grateful. However, she and her family will not stop fighting for other Americans who are still wrongly imprisoned. Today, my family is whole, but as you all are aware, there's so many other families who are not whole. And so BG's not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home, including Paul, whose family is in our hearts today. Griner's wife was referring to Paul Whelan, a retired U.S. Marine who is also imprisoned in Russia. Convicted by Russian courts on espionage charges that the U.S. has maintained as false. Whelan has spent four years in Russia behind bars. Paul's brother David says that his concern now 
is that with the release of Victor Boot, he's not sure what America can offer to have his brother freed. The question we have now is with uh, Konstantin Yaroshenko and Victor Boot going back to Russia and the U.S. having apparently gone through a list of other uh, concessions that they might have uh, gotten Russia to agree to, and they didn't. Um, it's not clear what the U.S. government can provide that will bring Paul home. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says that while he hoped they could bring Whelan home this time, they will continue to try. I wish that um, Paul Whelan had been on that, that, that plane, too. We've been doing everything possible to, to bring him out. And just as back in April, when President Biden secured Trevor Reed's release from Russia, we wanted Brittany and Paul to be on that plane, too. They weren't, but now Brittany is, and we will not cease until we get Paul home, too. Critics of the swap point to the dangers that Victor Boot, ominously nicknamed the Merchant of Death, could pose to the U.S. now that he has been released. John Kirby, coordinator for strategic communications at the National Security Council for the White House, says that no one is thrilled about Boots' release. We focused on the deal we could get. Um, and I, I understand the, 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 the rhetoric out there. I understand the argument that, uh, that you know, Mr. Boots a bad guy and now he's on the street again. I'll tell you this. Uh, nobody's doing backflips here, Chuck, about the fact that Mr. Boot is a free man. Um, We're going to continue to make sure we can defend our national security interests. And if Mr. Boot wants to get back into his own line of work, then we're going to do what we have to do to hold him accountable. Um, But it was important as well that we make good our promise to Americans that are wrongfully detained overseas Mm -hmm. uh, that we're going to that we're going to get him home. David Tafuri, a former campaign advisor for Barack Obama, says that this was a tough deal to make with Russia due to the U.S. support of Ukraine. This was a really tough negotiation because of what's going on more broadly between the U.S. and Russia. And it's a negotiation that the State Department needed to accomplish because it's a distraction from the main priorities of the U.S. with respect to Russia, which is to support Ukraine and repel the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And Russia and Putin were using Brittany Griner as leverage, which is very unfortunate for her and for her family. It was a show trial, as the administration called it. There was no basis for her to be given the length of the sentence that she was given in Russia. But because of the situation and the tension between the U.S. and Russia, the negotiations were much more difficult than they normally are. The U.S. had, and State Department had basically uh, identified Brittany Griner as wrongly detained by Russia. And so that's why they drove so hard to get her released. And so it's a big success, not just for Brittany Griner and for her family, but also for U.S. policy towards Russia and for support for Ukraine. Michael Allen, a former special assistant at the National Security Council under President George W. Bush, says that he's now concerned about who Russia would want for Paul Whelan. It's terrific for Brittany Griner's family here in the Christmas season to be able to have her home, but it's bittersweet not to have Paul Whelan coming home as well. I really wonder over time whether media inquiries will uncover that the Biden administration prioritized Brittany Griner over the Whelan family. It has me a little bit worried about whether there's enough momentum to carry forward to try and get Paul Whelan home. And the other question for me is, who is it that the Russians want to swap for Paul Whelan if they do at all? 
There are a variety of dissidents around the globe who have been honestly attacked and in some cases murdered by the Russian regime, and there have been arrests, especially in Germany. I'm thinking of one there. And I wonder if the Russians are trying to get some of their people released from other prisons around the world in exchange for Paul Whelan or others that are wrongfully detained in Russia. Allen says he believes the Biden administration is setting an example that it's okay to jail Americans. Putin is, of course, cold-blooded and brutally transactional. There's no doubt that he'll come back at us with some large ask, in some ways trying to free others around the globe that, for now, seem like a bridge too far for the United States and our allies. But I think that's, you know, Biden said he's the president. He's got to make the hard calls. I think he'll definitely be trying to get Paul Whelan home. But, you know, you're right. We've set an example of it pays to, unfortunately, kidnap or jail American citizens worldwide if the United States government is going to deal and otherwise swap hostages and prisoners with you. So I'm glad the president also said read the the um, warnings about which countries you're going to around the world and be very careful about where you're going. Um, I would have, I wouldn't go to Russia if I were uh, many American citizens today. This is the Biden administration's second prisoner swap with Russia. In April, the U.S. traded Konstantin Yaroshenko, a Russian smuggler convicted of conspiring to import cocaine for Trevor Reed former U.S. Marine who had been imprisoned in Russia for nearly three years. On Thursday, the House approved legislation that would codify same-sex marriage rights into federal law. The House has passed the Respect for Marriage Act. It is the last step before the legislation heads to President Biden's desk for his signature. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi presided over the vote in one of her last acts as Speaker before she steps down. The law would require all states to recognize same-sex marriages. Pelosi said it was necessary in case the Supreme Court overturns the right to same-sex marriage. Well, the act also protects interracial marriage. 39 Republicans joined all Democrats in favor. 169 Republicans voted no, and one member voted present. 39 Republicans joined Democrats for a final vote of 258 to 169. It now heads to President Biden for his signature. Senator Tammy Baldwin, the first openly gay politician elected to the Senate, explains what she believes is the core idea behind the bill. Really what the bill does is if you are married in a state where that marriage was legal when entered into, um, you are going to have your marriage recognized if you take a vacation to Florida or you, uh, you know, go somewhere else, visit the nation's capital, right? Um, that, that's portability. Matt Sharp, legal counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom, says that the bill is harmful for religious liberty for millions of Americans of deep faith. Well, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act really is a disrespect to millions of Americans and organizations that still believe that marriage is the union between one man and one woman. And this law would give vast powers to the federal government, allowing it to, for example, go after the tax-exempt status of a religious nonprofit or to allow federal lawsuits to be filed against people of faith simply that want to live consistent with their view that marriage is between a man and a woman. Sharp explains why he's skeptical about the so-called provisions in the bill that claim to protect religious freedom. We've seen some of these amendments, and 
really what they do is pay lip service to religious liberty. They would still result in many faith-based organizations being exposed to costly federal lawsuits for acting consistent with their beliefs that uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. Um, It still creates lots of other concerns when you are redefining marriage and the trickle-down effects that that would have. Sharp goes on to illustrate what he believes would be how the bill could be used to damage religious institutions. One example would be a a faith-based adoption provider. Uh, There's many of those that believe children thrive best in a home with a married mother and father. But because they operate uh, in conjunction with the state in many of the instances, this could allow the federal government to come in and tell that faith-based adoption provider, you must violate your beliefs about marriage. You must place children in homes with same-sex couples, even though that violates your beliefs about what's best for a child. And so those are just some of the examples of the type of consequences that could flow from this. There's many other social service organizations that likewise could be impacted by it, and nothing in the amendments, nothing that has been talked about would resolve those underlying threats to religious liberty that this bill poses. Many critics suggest that the bill was also addressing threats that did not exist. Thursday, Texas Republican lawmakers announced a new border security plan that would specifically cater to the needs of the Lone Star State. The plan seeks to deal with the unprecedented amount of illegal border crossings that some reports estimate now surpass 2.3 million for this year and is on pace to eclipse that number next year. A large contingent of Texas Republican lawmakers gathered in Washington, D.C. This is a security crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. It's a sex trafficking crisis. The Texas delegation unveiled a border security plan they say will be a priority when a new congressional term begins in January. While the president dismisses this as unimportant, we're all here to say it's critically important. Congressman Chip Roy was credited by his colleagues as being the main architect of a plan that calls for completing the border wall system, ending the release of migrants caught illegally crossing the border and who have cases pending in immigration court, increasing penalties for human and drug smuggling, and reinstating remain in Mexico policies. We know we need to deal with immigration issues, but we need to secure the border right now. Part of that plan first hinges on finishing the border wall, which has stalled under the Biden administration. Lawmakers also want to reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy that was enacted under now former President Donald Trump. According to reports, the plan would also put limits on DHS's use of prosecutorial discretion to release illegal immigrants into the country. This all comes as border states face a new challenge with the expected termination of Title 42 on December 21st which has been used to turn away a large number of illegal immigrants at the southern border since the start of the pandemic in 2020. Both Republicans and Democrats have expressed concern about a renewed surge on top of the already historic numbers of migrants the border is already seeing. Texas Republican Congressman Trey Nellis says the elimination of Title 42 is a mistake. Well, listen, Title 42 was there. It was created to deal with COVID, obviously the pandemic. 
to return people back if they had some type of a communicable disease that could affect and, and be a public health crisis. But what did we do, America? What did we do before COVID? There have been laws on the books dating back to Title VIII that if you came across our southern border 20, 30, 40 years ago with a, a disease and it was a public health emergency, that you would be returned. So, yes, I support Title 42. I think it's been good. Donald Trump had it there to return to keep the American people safe from COVID. But what we do have laws on the books before Title 42 was created. Nels goes on to say that the Biden administration has failed in securing the southern border because he believes Democrats will make migrants into new Democrat voters. There's 18,000 people that are coming across our southern border every day because over two years ago, our president invited them here. He didn't invite them here and say, hey, come on over here if you're seeking asylum. He just invited everybody. They're coming over here from over 100 countries across the globe, and he continues to invite them. And now there's chatter. There's all this chatter on the Senate side where you're finding some Republicans support the idea of amnesty and an asylum and this and that. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. We know this is a a plan. This is by design because eventually this administration and the Democrats want to give everybody asylum and want to give everybody citizenship. They want to make them all citizens. So there could be one party rule forever, and that's a Democrat party. The Biden administration has sought to quell fears by outlining a six-point plan they say deals with an increase in the numbers. New York U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the subject of a House ethics probe. Daybreak Insider's congressional correspondent Bernie Bennett picks up the story. The House Ethics Committee did not specify what exactly it was probing regarding the Congresswoman, and it noted that its statement does not itself indicate any violation has occurred. The House Ethics Panel received the matter from the nonpartisan Office of Congressional Ethics in June and said it plans to announce its course of action in the next Congress. A spokesperson for Ocasio-Cortez said in a statement, The Congresswoman has always taken ethics incredibly seriously, refusing any donations from lobbyists, corporations, or other special interests. We are confident that this matter will be dismissed. Bernie Bennett, Washington. On Thursday, the Federal Trade Commission voted to sue to attempt to block Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition of gaming company and platform Activision Blizzard. CNBC's White House correspondent Kayla Tausche says that the FTC seems to believe that perhaps their efforts to stop mergers like Microsoft's won't be successful. The top antitrust officials have uh, have not been uh, not left any question about whether or not they intended to pursue an aggressive approach on trying to challenge some of these deals. In recent congressional testimony in just the last few weeks, both the head of the FTC, Lena Khan, and the top antitrust official of the DOJ, Jonathan Cantor, have essentially said a version of the same thing, which is if we don't at least try to challenge them, then there's not going to be any changes to antitrust enforcement. But in that statement or in that sentiment, you know, there is a there's a sense that, you know, they're essentially acknowledging that there's a chance that these 
challenges won't succeed. And certainly the track record uh, would illustrate that. In just the last three months, there have been four notable setbacks for the Biden administration where federal mm-hmm. judges sided with Illumina. They sided with United Healthcare. They sided with Booz Allen Hamilton and U.S. Sugar, essentially saying that the arguments that the FTC and the DOJ were making to argue that each of those four mergers would be anti-competitive essentially had no merit. Now, the administration is appealing those, but certainly you, you can't say that it's not a setback. Julia Bornston, CNBC's media and tech correspondent, adds that this is a new tactic being used by the government to employ more regulations. That's right. I mean, we are seeing the FTC and the DOJ certainly take more swings in this department. And it does seem like that's about trying to force more legislative change in the antitrust um, field. So one thing that's interesting, and I just have to flag, Scott, is it's not just the FTC taking aim at this massive Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal, but also right now the FTC is in the midst of these hearings about a preliminary injunction it wants against Meta's acquisition of a 300 or $400 million startup in the VR space. So, of course, Meta, the day after it changed its name um, from Facebook to Meta, um, sort of stuck a claim and said, look, we're really committed to making gains in the VR space. And they acquired or they made a deal to acquire this company called Within. But what's so interesting in seeing the fact that the FTC is challenging this deal is they're saying there is no dominant player in the VR space yet, but we believe in the future that that could be Meta. And so they're really looking for some different arguments arguments right now to block deals. The FTC argued that if Microsoft closes the deal, it would have the power to harm competition by being able to change terms to withhold access to Activision's content, such as the very popular Call of Duty game, as well as to manipulate pricing and degrade game quality. There's a new scathing report on an NFL team. Daybreak Insider's John Scott joins us now with details on the inner workings of the Washington NFL team. The U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform says that the Washington Commanders created a toxic work culture for more than two decades and downplayed sexual misconduct by men at the top levels of the organization. That's according to a report which also says team owner Dan Snyder was involved in the misconduct, interfered in a separate investigation, and was misleading to the House Committee. The report also says the NFL minimizes workplace misconduct across the league. John Scott reporting. And finally, are you looking for a job that pays six figures? Do you think you have a swashbuckling attitude? Well, New York City has the job for you. The Big Apple is looking to hire a rat czar to handle the city's major rodent problem, and they're willing to pay one hundred twenty to $170,000. I want to be clear. The rats are absolutely going to hate this announcement. But the rats don't run the city. We do. New York City is ready to pay six figures to a rat czar who will wage an anti-rodent war. The new position, Director of Rodent Mitigation, will make a yearly salary between $120,000 to $170,000. This job posting describes the ideal candidate as somewhat bloodthirsty. Rat sightings in New York City's parks, sidewalks, and other places has increased in recent years. Everyone that knows me, they know one thing, I hate rats. 
You know, when we started killing them in Borough Hall, you know, some of the same folks are criticizing us now called me a murderer because I was killing rats. Well, you know what? We're going to kill rats. According to the posting, requirements include a bachelor's degree, experience in urban planning, and, among other things, applicants must be somewhat bloodthirsty and possess a, quote, swashbuckling attitude, crafty humor, and a general aura of badassery, end quote. The New York Times notes the city already has a pest control office. However, there's no one that's been tasked with coordinating all these efforts against the rats, which have long been an issue in that city. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.